Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Today we're talking about the law of preparedness. You know, we will never catch God unprepared for what we do. I love that thought. I was reminded by it, uh, that thought whenever I got back to India this year and the seminary students came up to me and they said, last year you told us that we would never catch God unprepared for what we are going to do. You told us the story of Jonah and how that God prepared a great fish before Jonah ever went the wrong way. They said, we have not forgotten Will you give us more principles like that this time? And so I got an opportunity to spend days and hours and hours each day. And then afterwards, hours answering questions. Every question uh, you can imagine. Just, uh, just sec- separating myself. And, and uh, while everyone else was doing everything else, I didn't get to be with the group this year. I was just in, uh, you know, uh, just almost in seclusion for my days. And uh, it was one of the greatest opportunities that God has ever given me to sow into the lives and help them prepare for things that I cannot imagine. Some of our students there will come for eight months. The, you know, you would think that they are young men and young women, but, you know, there are many of them in their 40s call of God on their life and they left families and they left jobs and they left their communities and some of them have walked and ridden buses and other transportation and and just at a few dollars maybe two or three dollars in their pockets to come and to spend eight months taking three weeks journey to come and spend eight months away from their family to go back and then to reconnect with their family so that they can come another eight months and do that for a few years in order to get an education and understand how they can go back and begin a congregation and share the light and the love of Christ. God is calling people into ministry in every nation, especially those who are so populated and so dark and so without God. In that nation, there are 33 million gods and goddesses, and there they need Jesus, and people are paying a great price to come and be prepared. The Bible says many are called, but a few are chosen. The difference in life between a calling and being chosen is preparedness. And today we are talking about the law of preparedness. We will discuss the importance today of being prepared. And in order to discover the truth that God wants to reveal to us today, we're going to look at the lives of three individuals spoken of in the Bible. It is my hope that today I can adequately represent God's desire for us to always be prepared for the eventualities that God knows will come in our future. God is always speaking to us about a future. He's always hoping that we will be prepared for what he is going to do and for the things that will happen. He knows the end from the beginning and he encourages us to move ourselves along in this law of preparedness. The first person we're going to talk about today is Abraham, the father of faith. Abraham lived approximately 2,000 years before Christ. 
The setting that we're going to read about in Genesis chapter 14 this morning is a setting which may be familiar to some of you and may be foreign to some others. Perhaps many of you have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's nephew, Lot, his name was Lot, he lived in the town of Sodom. It was a wicked city. And it just so happened that some kings from the north came down into what is now Israel. They came down into the land of those Canaanites in that day, 2,000 years before Christ. And they began to raid and pillage and plunder. They began to defeat city after city, kingdom after kingdom, including the kingdom of Sodom and Gomorrah. There were five kings that had come down in a raid. They were destroying everything in their sight and taking people captive. Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring kingdoms gathered together and they decided that they would strengthen one another and stand up against this force that was coming to completely destroy the land, but it did not work. The kings of the north, they conquered the land and they took captive Lot and his family and all of the goods from Sodom. And they went back north. Abraham was just a man in covenant with God, a man that God had made wealthy, a nomadic man that would move his sheep and his cattle and his, his camels from place to place. But he himself had his tent in the city of Hebron, around that city in the plains of Mamre. Word came to Abraham that these kings had come from the north and, and they had conquered the kings of the south and they had taken captive the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, among whom was Abraham's nephew Lot and his family. And they had taken all the goods. Well, Abraham did something amazing. Let's read and see what Abraham did in Genesis 14. In verse 14, and when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, it's actually his nephew called his brother, his near kinsman, had been taken captive, Abraham armed his trained servants born in his house 318, and he pursued these kings of the north. He pursued them northwards approximately 80 miles all the way to Dan. And Abraham divided himself. He had 318 armed, trained servants. He divided them into different groups against these armies, against these kings, he and his servants by night and smote them and pursued them unto Horba, 
which is on the left hand of Damascus. He pursued them another 60 miles all the way into the capital, near the capital of Syria today. Verse 16, And Abraham brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. Whoa, wait just a moment. Do you mean that Abraham was able to take 318 shepherds, 318 nomadic shepherds that had been tending his flocks, that had been taking care of his herds? You know, they were, they were just servants. He was able to take these 318 and do what the kings of the south and all of their armies could not do. He was able to defeat them and he, he defeated all the armies and he brought back all the people and he brought back all the goods. How in the world? Well, evidently, Abraham had spent some time and some resources training his servants for war. Training shepherd boys, training water boys, training camel riders. Evidently, the Bible says, he armed them. Evidently, again, if we just read into this and understand what he's saying, is that Abraham had evidently spent some resources putting together an arsenal. He had swords and he, wait, Abraham is a sheep owner. He's, a, he's, just, he's just one guy taking care of his family. But yet he had spent time training and arming these men. These 318 men did what five kings and their armies could not do. Why? Well, it's because these men were born in the house. They, they were born and just grew up in Abraham's house. And he took some of them and trained them and he amassed an arsenal. And, and he was, he, what does Abraham teach us about preparedness? Abraham teaches us that we must prepare for war in the time of peace. We must be prepared. There is a law of preparedness. For if Abraham had not been prepared, if he had not prepared them in the time of peace, then when the time of war came, he would not have been prepared. He could not send out, uh, have sent out successfully a bunch of willy-nilly, I don't know what we're doing, I don't know how to divide ourselves, I don't know how to pursue, I don't know how to fight, I don't know how to function in a group. Abraham had trained them. Can you imagine how, how bored they must have been whenever he said, okay, today, you, 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 I know that it's your day off, but you're going to come in and learn how to march. You're going to come in here and learn how to handle a sword. You're going to come and learn how to handle a sling. You're going to come and learn how to handle a spear. You're going to come and learn some military tactics. Why? We're shepherds. Why? We're servants. Why? My goodness. You know, because of the law of preparedness. The law of preparedness demands that you prepare for war in the time of peace. 
The second person the Bible speaks of that demonstrates the law of preparedness is Joseph. Let me set the stage for Genesis chapter 41. Joseph was the grandson, great-grandson of Abraham. He understood something about being prepared. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had a son named Joseph. Joseph was taken captive at an early age, sold by his brothers into slavery, taken down into Egypt. He worked very hard and became the chief steward of a very wealthy man's home. The man's name was Potiphar. Joseph was doing everything he should do, and yet... Once again, he found himself in a situation that he did not deserve. Potiphar's wife lied on Joseph, and it made him lose his position and go to prison. In prison, Joseph did everything he should do, and he became a trustee. He helped other people, but yet it seemed no one helped him. In fact, the Bible says that it was years that he had been forgotten. It seemed that he had been forgotten. But then one day, when everything was right, Joseph was brought out of prison and presented to Pharaoh. What made the difference in Joseph's life is that Joseph understood the principles of God. When Pharaoh had a dream, Joseph told Pharaoh what the dream meant. And you know what it meant? It meant get prepared, get ready. No one else knew what to do. Joseph knew what to do because of this law of preparedness. Genesis 41 Verse 34, this is what Joseph said to Pharaoh. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth. If any of you have ever heard my teaching on finances, I encourage you to look at your income like 10 apples. Learn to live on six apples. You know, Spend, if, if you can learn to live on six apples, then save two apples and give two apples away. That's your one-fifth savings, 20%. It's, it's biblical in good days. Why? Because, as he said, he appointed officers over the land. This is what he encouraged Pharaoh to do. Collect one-fifth. Collect 20% of the produce of the land of, the, uh, of, of, of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. Well, Pharaoh said, sounds like a great idea to me. Joseph, you're going to be over this. And look what it says in verse 53. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended. 
And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. Famine was everywhere, but in Egypt there was bread. Why? Because the truth is, we must prepare for famine in the years of plenty. We cannot afford to take the extra that God is giving us today during this wonderful growing economy and waste it all on living. We must understand that good days and bad days happen to every generation. Good days and bad days. Hirings and layoffs happen in every generation. Things going great and things going not so great. Ups and downs can happen to the economy and happens in every generation. But the law of preparedness encourages us that in the years of plenty, in the days of good, make sure you're not spending everything that you make. Make sure that you are putting something back. Because you could come to a time of needing it. And when you do, there needs to be bread in your house, even in the days of famine. The first person the Bible talks to us about, the first person we have looked at in the Bible today, in this law of preparedness that teaches us the importance of being prepared, that first person is Abraham. The second person we've talked about that the Bible speaks about is Joseph. Number one, we must prepare for war even in the time of peace. Number two, we must prepare for famine in the years of plenty. And the third person that the Bible speaks of is you. You. God speaks about you in the Bible. Did you know that the Bible speaks about you and the necessity of you being prepared? It is the truth. You see, the truth is, not only was, must we prepare for war in the time of peace, not only must we prepare for famine in the years of plenty, but we must prepare for heaven while living here on earth. It is a law. For without being prepared, we will not be welcomed into the eternal bliss that God hopes for us. We must prepare for heaven while living on earth. Today I want to introduce you to a very old concept that will help you be prepared and also help you to encourage others to be prepared. This old concept is called the Romans Road to Salvation. It helps us to better understand God's plan for every life. The Romans Road to Salvation can be remembered easily. Number one, Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We must, number one, recognize our need for a Savior. If we are going to be truly prepared, we must recognize our need. 
We cannot hide and imagine that our sin, our trouble is someone else's fault. Our salvation is someone else's responsibility. It is not. 100 years ago today, an armistice was signed. No reflection on today's nations, on today's people, on today's leadership. But in the early 1900s, it was evident that Germany was an aggressor. But do you know when the armistice was signed? Do you know that nice, kind, caring nations, the allies who had won the war and, and you know, defeated the enemies, they did not want to be harshly honest. So the armistice was signed allowing Germany to pretend that they were good faith players in the peace accord. They weren't. They were aggressors who were defeated. They were not good faith players. But because there was no demand to accept what they had done wrong, where there is no acceptance of having done wrong, there is no regret for having done wrong. Where there is no regret for having done wrong, there is no repentance for having done wrong. Where there is no repentance for having done wrong, there is only a repeat of doing wrong. And because we allowed the Germans to say, well, you know, hey, look, we're just, you know, we're, we're a part of the peace accord. Let's just sign and agree to not fight anymore. The only reason they agreed is because they were facing annihilation and war was about to step onto their territory and they could have never denied. They could have never, but because of the pretense, that everything was okay because of the pretense that they were good faith players. Because of this pretense and no acceptance of wrong, they were able to rewrite history in their own generation and say that the real reason why we lost the war was because of the Jews. We didn't lose it because we were bad and mean people. We got stabbed in the back by Jews and they were able to shift the focus from being an aggressor to being a victim. You see, that's what happens to be. Even when you're trying to get someone born again, if there's no acceptance of sin, if there's no acceptance of lostness, if there's no acceptance, there will be no regret, there will be no repentance, and there will only be a repeat of sin. It was, it's written in our history books that that generation just turned and blamed the Jews. So now what we need to do is get rid of the problem. And World War II was the fix. They didn't lose World War I. They were victims of a group of people who stabbed them in the back and caused them to, to, to be unfairly thought about. And so they just rewrote history. 
I mean, all of you know this, right? You took history, right? Where there is no acceptance. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. You will not find someone getting saved if they don't believe they need to be saved. You cannot get saved unless you accept the fact that you need a Savior. You must be born again. It's no one else's fault that you're in sin and no one else can save you. You can't point the finger at anybody else. You must be born again. The Romans road to salvation is very plain. You must prepare on earth for eternity or face eternity unprepared. And the first step is accepting that you are a sinner and you need to be born again. You need to have a regret for the sin that you have done. Where there is no regret, where there's only blame, where there's only a shifting of the blame, where you never accept responsibility for what you did to Jesus Christ, why he went to the cross, when you will not accept responsibility for your sin, you will be left with no regret for it. And then there is no repentance. When you don't feel bad about being bad, you won't repent and you will repent. Repeat. All have sinned. You have sinned. The Bible's talking about you being prepared for eternity. The next step on the Romans' road to salvation is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But... The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. These are simple steps. Very simple. Undeniable. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And the last step on this Romans road to salvation, Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is no other way but Jesus. We cannot fall short and allow our friends and family to pretend there is nothing wrong. We cannot afford for them to pretend that they are okay and watch them go to a sinner's hell unprepared for eternal life. We don't have to be mean. We don't have to be condemning, judgmental, or critical, but we must speak the truth. For only the light can dispel the darkness. Only Jesus can save. And only a realization that I need to be saved. And I am sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. And I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Only that road will work. Jesus talks about you when he's talking about the cross. Just as we must be prepared and prepare ourselves for war in the time of peace or lose war. Just as we must prepare for famine in the days and the years of plenty or face starvation. We must also prepare for heaven while living here on the earth or face hell. I simply question you this morning, are you prepared? Are you prepared? 
Are you willing to be a light? A non-critical, non-judgmental proclaimer of the truth. It's Jesus. And I can't pretend with you that you're okay when there's no remorse, no regret, no repentance, no acceptance. Whenever all you have is blame, blame won't change anything. Nothing changes till something changes. Where there's no regret, there's no repentance. Where there's no repentance, there will just be a repeat. As we saw in the late 30s and through 1945, from the same people with the same desire, just blaming somebody else. You are not a victim. The people that you are witnessing to, they are not victims of a mean God. They accept him, they will become victors. And all of their other attempts will pale in comparison to what Jesus will do if they will just accept, repent, give their life to him. Are you prepared?